Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Crosspoint. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here and we're thankful that you're with us today. We finished up our, our show and tell series <clears throat> that we've been doing this month. And if you uh, have a Bible on your lap or on your device, get to Colossians 4. And if you missed a week, I'd encourage you to catch up online. As you're getting to Colossians 4, I want to draw your attention to a few different things and make you aware of a few different things. On average, every Sunday, around a third of the people who attend here are sixth grade and under and involved in Sun Chasers. That's been the case for pretty much our entire um, existence as a church. One of our values as a church is to reach and prepare the next generation. So we not only do that with middle school and high school students with hype, but we do that through that Sun Chasers age as well. And through the years, we've had so many faithful volunteers who have served and are serving uh, in that ministry. And right now, we have some opportunities that we need to have cross-pointers step up and, and say yes to. Specifically, we have openings in first grade, second grade, and fourth grade with those elementary age groups. Sun Chasers just began a great new curriculum called the Gospel Project, so we're not necessarily looking for you to come up with your own lesson. We are looking for people who love God, love children, and want to invest time into those children. <clears throat> so I encourage you to contact uh, Becky Williamson, our children's ministry director, to uh, get more info, to ask questions. If you want to line up a time to shadow a teacher and find out what happens back there while we're out here, I'd encourage you to talk to her and express interest in that. If you're not sure of who she is or uh, haven't met her before, you can always put in a, a connection card at Guest Connections and we'll get you in contact. In your program, you also have a listing of the community groups that will be happening this semester. Additional groups might, might pop up in the coming months, but this is what we know of at this point. And if you're interested at all in connecting to a group and ready to move beyond simply attending on a Sunday morning, I'd encourage you to either uh, contact the church office, we'll try to connect you to a group, or you can always uh, contact one of those leaders directly and find out about their group. Groups typically will start meeting here in February with our next series at some point. Uh, finally, I wanted to share with you about a recent change to our elder team. Uh, Matt Wiegand has been one of our elders for the past six years as a church and has been a huge part of our ch uh, huge part of that team, especially with the many changes we've walked through in the past six years as a church. And Matt shared with the team this past week that he is going to be stepping down from the elder team at this point. A lot of times when change happens in leadership, especially in church leadership, it is assumed that there's some backstory, some drama, some conflict that led to the change. I can tell you that none of that is the case here. Uh, rather, he's stepping away due to the season of life that he is in, and yet will continue to serve in the many ways that he does, just not in the capacity of an elder. Uh, we're not going to move to add another elder at this time or move through an elder selection process. There's no magic number or ratio given to us in the New Testament when it comes to church leadership. And, and so uh, actually for the first few years, we had five elders. And so we're going to operate and um, uh, oversee and shepherd with those five elders. And as you have opportunity, I'd encourage you to uh, encourage Matt and thank him for the ways that he has uh, shepherded and overseen ministry and people and invested into lives over the last six years. And then I'm grateful that it doesn't necessarily stop. It just uh, moves on to other capacities, other roles. All right, today we finish up our four-week series called Show and Tell. This series has been all about evangelism, this God-given role that he has given to his people to go outward as a way of life, to both show and tell of the good news of Jesus. While our faith is personal, it is not intended to be private. Uh, our love for God is intended to overflow to those around us. 2 Corinthians 5 reminds us that it's the love of Christ that compels us to go. So because Jesus first loved us, then we love others. We go and make disciples as a way of life. When Jesus was first beginning his earthly ministry, 
Matthew 4 tells this story in verses 18 and 19. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The same charge Jesus gave to Peter and Andrew is the same charge he gives to us as, as his followers, that as we, as we follow Jesus, we fish for people. Now, uh, where I grew up, I grew up out in the country, and we had a little pond and in front of our front yard, and I did some fishing. I never really progressed past the fish and hook um, or, the, uh, or the worm and hook approach. Some of you love to fish. You will spend Saturdays, Sundays, hours fishing. All right, you love it. But correct me if I'm wrong, fishing doesn't always result in catching a fish every time you throw out a line. Some days are great, and some days are not. If there's an activity that will teach you patience, it's fishing. If there's an activity in the kingdom of God that will teach you patience, that will teach you faithfulness, it is showing and telling of the good news. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, Jesus said. If we're following Jesus with our lives, if we're going to, then we're going to be concerned with the people that Jesus is concerned for. He is the one we're learning from and becoming more and more like. So in a progressive, ongoing way, our heart should reflect His heart. If we're not concerned for the people who don't know Jesus, then we really need to ask ourselves, are we really following the Jesus of the Bible? Are we just following some other um, imaginary thing that we've created in our mind? My heart as a pastor is that we as a church would personally grow as a way of life to be driven to reach people this year. The typical path for a church plant, as a church, we're coming up on 12 years old. The typical path for a church plant is that early on, they're very outward oriented. But then as the years go on, they turn more and more inward. And then eventually, the church stops reaching people. They stop being concerned about the very people that Jesus is concerned for and laid down his life for. I can tell you as a pastor, as long as I'm here, I will fight that tendency. I will, um, I will fight that tendency and that pull. And I pray that years from now, years from now, long after we're all here, years from now, is that Crosspoint would still be as concerned about reaching the lost as we were the first few years that we began. Uh, for me personally, this month, studying some of the passages and, and going through the training on Wednesday nights with many of you, and it spurred me on to pray for and to pursue some of the people in my life that don't know Jesus yet. So I'm trying to get time with them, trying to get meals with them, trying to send the text and pray for them intentionally and invest into them. And the five verses that we'll look at today are some of my favorite when it comes to what it looks like to show and tell the good news. And my hope is that today we'd be reminded of three things when it comes to showing and telling, when it comes to evangelism that these verses speak of. One is that it begins with prayer. God is the one who opens the door. Two is that we must tell of the good news clearly and say yes to the opportunity when God presents it. And finally, the way in, or manner in which we tell of the good news, it matters. So let's read the verses, and then we'll get into them. Colossians 4, 2 through 6 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, Paul begins with. 
Last year, I read an article that highlighted <clears throat> the characteristics of people who were evangelistic as a way of life. They did a ton of interviews of these people and, and who showed and, and told of Jesus. And the number one characteristics that, characteristic that, that these respondents mentioned was this. They were first a people of prayer. They realized that, not only, that, that God's the only one that can, can uh, convict people of sin. Only God can bring salvation. And these people were totally dependent upon prayer. Prayer was not an afterthought. It was the first thought. A life that shows and tells begins with prayer as its foundation, and too often as God's people, we skip over this. I love how Paul begins here, though. Our mission to show and tell starts not with us, not with our skill, not with our ability, anything to do with us. It starts with Him. It begins with prayer. One mark of a believer in Christ is prayer. We talk to our Father in heaven. If we say we love Him, we will talk to Him, and we will also be quiet before Him. Prayer reveals to us two different things. It shows the complete sufficiency of God and the complete helplessness of us. It shows that God is not lacking, and so we come to Him in prayer. When we don't pray, when we're prone to kind of be lacking in prayer, when that happens in my life, it reveals to me, it should reveal to us, that in our hearts we're saying that we are sufficient and we don't need Jesus. We're okay on our own. If we need to make something happen, we can make it happen on our own with our ability, with our skill. With our actions or lack of prayer, we're more, we're more or less saying, I'm sufficient and God is not able. The creator of the cosmos is not able to handle my need, my request, and all that sounds silly, does it not? But that's how you and I often approach prayer. That's what gets exposed in us when, when we're kind of lacking in prayer that our God is somehow boxed in, reduced to a formula, can't move mountains or soften hearts or frankly do whatever He wills and wants to do. Crosspoint, our God is able and we cannot forget that, especially when it comes to showing and telling of the good news. So is there someone in your life that is very resistant to the gospel or any talk of God or just um, seems running completely in the other direction? I've got those in my life. And are you, are you at sometimes at a loss as to what to say or what to do or how to approach them, how to love them, how to start the conversation. And here's what's always at our disposal, prayer. I know that sounds like a Sunday school answer, but it's the biblical truth that you and me praying consistently, intentionally for the people around us who don't know Jesus, praying to the one who created the heavens and the earth, who created them, who loves them far more than you and I do who loves them enough to lay down his life for them. Praying to that one is worth it. So who are you and I praying for intentionally, purposely? Paul says that in prayer we should be watchful and thankful, being watchful. When you're watchful, you're awake and alert. When you're driving, it's foggy, it's snowy, it's rainy, it's deer season, you're watchful. You're checking your surroundings. You're not just coasting along, but you're engaged, and so it is to live a life that shows and tells of the good news. We pray, and as we pray, we remain watchful to see how He's going to work. We're praying, believing God will work, and so we're, we're, we're going to be watching to see how that's going to happen, how that's going to play out. This month, I, I've been trying to, like I've said, just trying to be a little bit more intentional when it comes to praying, uh, specifically in that area. And, and as I've been praying, I've just become more aware of opportunities that God is opening up to me to live and speak of the good news, not because I'm a pastor, but all these opportunities are coming up simply because it's just a way of life. It's 
husband, father, friend, coach type of roles. And that I wouldn't miss him. That's my heart. And so this last week I had two opportunities that, that pretty much came out of the blue to me. And I was able to share meals with, with friends and people I'm praying for and be able to share about Christ. And I know there's been some opportunities like that that have come up and I missed them. And here's the main reason I missed them. When, when they came up and I, and I missed them, here's the main reason. Because I was too busy. My mind was too busy. I was far too focused on me, my desires, my agenda. I was thinking about what I had to do after that. I was thinking about that email I just received. I was thinking about the, the thing I need to work on that I wasn't being watchful. Paul reminds us here to be watchful because our tendency, you and I, our tendency is not to be. The New Testament continually calls Christians to be watchful in light of Jesus' one day return. That you and I would understand the nature of the times we live in, that no matter how many years we're given on this earth, we are to use them for God's purposes. Because one day, one day He is returning. And we want to be, have, have been found faithful with the years and the time that He's given to us here on this earth. Being watchful also remains, uh, means that you're aware of how God's at work. You're remaining watchful that as you pray, then you want to see God work and you want to see how that's going to play out, where He's moving, how you can join Him in that work. Crosspoint, may we be people first who are devoted to prayer. And then we remain watchful and thankful as we pray. Verse 3, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. An open door for our message. And that message is the message of Christ. So this is not about Paul, but rather he wants an open door for the good news because it has the power to transform and change. I love the simple reminder, and if we get nothing else out of today, I pray we would get this, that God is the one who opens the door. God is the one who creates that conversation to happen, that divine appointment, so to speak, that, that you have. He's the one who prepares the way for that message. He's the one that softens the, the heart. His grace is at work. He's prepared the good work in advance for you to do, Ephesians tells us. He's the one who has providentially placed you into that person's life for such a time as this. Our role is simply to say yes, to lean into that, to say yes when the door is opened. Be encouraged of God's sovereignty and His grace at work in saving people. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin. Jesus told us that in John 16, 8. And so we can point out that things are sinful. We can point out that, that that's not how God intended it. But you and I are not the ones that are going to bring conviction about sin. The Holy Spirit does that work. We can't convince someone of their need for a Savior. I've tried. I've tried in lots of different ways. I can't convince someone. You can't convince someone of their need for a Savior. God does that work. I can point them to the one true Savior. I can shine a light upon Jesus and that He is the way and the truth and the life. In a way of life that shows and tells the gospel, we need to be, keep elevating our God. To be reminded that, that, uh, that people will not begin to follow Jesus because of our incredible skill, our ability, or knowledge. People will begin to follow God when God draws them to Himself. People will begin to follow God when God uses people like you and me, His people to be his ambassador, to, to go, to be compelled by the love of Christ to show and tell of the gospel. God doesn't need us to be awesome. He doesn't need us to be awesome. He needs us to be faithful. He needs us to be obedient. He needs us to be open. He doesn't need you and me to be awesome. He 
He needs us to be faithful. For some of you, this hits you as a parent. You've got a child, whether they're uh, uh, at some stage of life, maybe they're at home, maybe they're on their own, and you don't see a lot of evidence of their faith in Christ. They could be really outwardly rebellious or, or just you just don't see a lot of evidence in their, in their life. And you're wondering if they really know Jesus. Be encouraged that our role, especially as parents, our role is to simply say yes to God. Our role is to show and tell that we are first called not to convince them, not to convict them. Our role is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To live that out as a way of life and love others. If you're a parent, through your words, through your way of life, we show our children what that looks like to love God with everything we have. And then God is the one who ultimately brings people from death to life, from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, from pride to humility, from resistant to repentant. We know from Scripture that God is the one who gives us the grace to understand and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is why prayer is so essential, why we ask God this is why we ask God to open up doors and why we pray and ask God to save those who we love and who we cross paths with, knowing that God is the one who does the work, knowing how great He is, how majestic He is, how His love endures forever. It guards our hope. It keeps us from becoming hopeless. It keeps us from just giving up on people because we follow a God who is incomparable. When fishing, so to speak, is, is difficult, when there's um, not a lot of things being caught, so to speak, we know our God is still at work. And while we may not see evidence of that, we don't have to lose heart because God is still God. He's still great. He's still mighty. He's still saving people. He's still drawing people to Himself. He's patient and at work, wanting no one to perish but everyone to come to repentance. Paul says again, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. Watch this video from Francis Chan. I remember one time uh, just sitting on a plane and uh, there was an empty seat and then a gal in the other seat. And, and I knew I was supposed to talk to her and I just chickened out. Um, so I didn't say anything. And then I went and spoke at a conference about courage. And then uh, on the way back, I guess three hours later, three, four hours later, I jumped right back on a plane and the same girl sitting right next to me. I thought, no way. We both started freaking out. And uh, I just looked at her and go, man, this is not a coincidence. And just said, look, I, I, I was supposed to just ask you about your life and just pray for you. See if there's anything I could pray for you about. And I just thought, ah, oh, she's not going to talk. You fell asleep, blah, blah, blah. But we both, we both know that this is not a coincidence. We, we both fly a lot, and you never sit next to the same person. Anyways, we, we had the great conversation about her relationship with God, and I thought, Lord, I almost missed out on all of that. Here's this gal who was telling me why she hated the church and everything else, and I thought, God, if you had not shown your grace and given me this other opportunity in a supernatural way, in a way where I couldn't blow it, it was just too obvious, I would have missed out on that opportunity for, for the potential of making a disciple. And so we pray for God to open a door. 
And when he does, we say yes. Have you ever, can you relate to that? Have you ever missed an opportunity or realized that you missed one earlier in the day and like, oh yeah, I, I did that. And the best news about that is that there will be more opportunities. There'll be more opportunities because God is still at work. He hasn't, his, his work is not based upon our ability. And so he's still going to be at work. The opportunity is still going to be there. So we need to remain watchful and looking for how to say yes. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So to be an ambassador for Christ is not just about uh, living our life and showing what life looks like in Christ. It also means we must tell, we must proclaim Jesus with our words. Paul is in chains as a prisoner, and so humans have tried to stop the message from going outward. It hasn't worked. God is still opening doors. Can you imagine being a prison guard chained up or in the same room or presence of Paul? I guarantee that guy could not shut up. He just continued to tell. His way of life showed that Jesus had met him on a road to Damascus, and his life had changed since then. He's still using a prisoner here to proclaim the message. You know how many of us would approach that situation? Well, when I get out of these chains, then I'll begin sharing my faith. That's not what Paul does here. That's not how he approaches it. In a sense, he says, I will proclaim Jesus despite my circumstances and situation. Those do do not limit limit me, for I serve a God who is not limited. Some of us don't share because of the brokenness in our lives or the previous mistakes we've made or the lost people that are around us now in a relationship are the same people who we ran with, who we hung out with, who know all the bad and ugly of our life before Christ, if not even the sin that we've wrestled with and fought with since knowing Christ. I would encourage you to begin sharing your faith using that as a starting point, using your brokenness, using your sin as a starting point. Don't try to avoid it. Speak to how you've experienced the forgiveness of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, how He is restoring, how He is mending, making new, reconciling. Don't let your supposed chains limit your thinking in what God is able to do. Instead, redeem them for His mission. Talk about your own story, but then don't just leave it at your own story. Use your story to ultimately tell of the good news. That's the message that Paul wants to uh, clearly communicate here. John White says this about testimonies. If you want to learn about windows, you will do well to look at a few of them. The problem will be that you will not only look at them, but you will look through them. And if your curiosity is anything like mine, the windows themselves will at times disappear. Testimonies are like that. It's what you see through them that matters. We want people to see God's story through our story. The goal in sharing our story of meeting Jesus and begin to follow any, uh, beginning to follow Him, the goal isn't to make much of us. It's to make much of Him. So if you have three minutes to share your story, don't spend the first two minutes and 55 seconds talking about how messed up you were, how you hated God, hated the things of God, how greatly you'd sinned, how proud you were, all these different things. Yes, talk about your past, who you were before meeting Jesus. Be honest about it. But don't forget to tell the rest of the story. Don't forget to tell the rest and also share what happened, what, how, how, you drew, how God drew you to Himself. What it looked like for you to begin to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. When did that happen? Share what your life was like 
what, what your uh, life in Christ looks like now. What are you learning? What are you growing in? What's God teaching you about himself? How are you aware more of his grace and truth in your life now than you were maybe two years ago? How is Jesus giving you the power and victory over sin and giving you hope and joy despite circumstances? So Paul's message that he proclaimed was the gospel, not just that he got saved on the road to Damascus. And yet you also see in the New Testament, he talked about his former life, and he, but he used it as a springboard to talk about the grace and mercy of God and how that grace and mercy was available to all who would repent and believe. I believe as Christ followers, we should be able to share our personal testimony in a matter of a few minutes. We should be able to uh, describe what life before Jesus looked like, how we met Jesus, and what life uh, looks like after meeting him. We should share humbly, we should share honestly and lovingly. If you've never done that before, you should write out your testimony. If you're, um, if you're married, you should share that with your spouse. If you have children, you should share that with your child. If you're a hype student, a, a student in here, you should share that with your parent. If you have a roommate, you should share it with a roommate. Use Scripture in your testimony. Tell of how, you, how your life illustrated what it looked like that all had fallen short of the glory of God of Romans 3.23 or how you've been saved by grace and not by works, Ephesians 2.8-9. And then remember, as you write out your story, see it as a window into something greater, a gospel message that is proclaimed to all, the message of reconciliation that we, that we have been entrusted to as His followers. Verse 4, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. He's praying for courage and he's praying for clarity. What good is an open door if no one has the courage to go through it and speak the message with clarity? In the same breath, what good is clarity if all the doors are shut and we're just trying to take an axe to every single door, trying to shove it open and kick it open and rely on our own wisdom, power, and strength and skipping over prayer? Too often nowadays, the good news message is unclear, just kind of muddied up or we assume that people understand. But in today's world, it's just not the case. When we tell the good news, we need, to be clear about, we need to be clear about it. Paul prayed for clarity. We need to as well. The gospel in modern language means breaking news. This is good news. This news is to go to the ends of the earth. Too often in our culture, especially in Midwest, rural, small-town USA, we assume that people know what the gospel is. As parents, sadly, we assume our kids will just kind of get it. We assume that, well, you grew up in a small town, you get this, or you, you grew up in church, right? Or you went to that VBS, you went to that camp, and you get this, right? And we make these assumptions, and the sad reality is, is it's just not the case that, that people automatically get the gospel because they've been in a certain environment. And so we need to be clear about what it is. The clearest sign of a gospel that's being assumed is that you no longer hear it. You no longer hear it in sermons. You no longer hear it in prayers. You no longer hear it in conversations. And so we must be clear in our telling because otherwise the people that we're sharing with, the people we're loving, the people that we're walking with, they're going to make assumptions. For instance, they will assume the gospel is simply moralism. It's trying to be a better person. It's cleaning up your act on the outside or quote-unquote turning your life around. Some of you are here at Crosspoint and, and that might be what you're assuming the gospel is. But the breaking news of Jesus is not be a moral person. It's that we were dead in our sin and transgression and we were separated from God. We were lost, we were hopeless, we were dead, and Jesus has come to rescue us, to bring us from death 
to life so that we might be saved and be given new life and eternal life. The gospel is not be a better person. The gospel is surrender your life to the only one who has the authority and who loves you with an infinite love. If we don't make the gospel clear, then we, we might give this false impression that we're just trying to clean up somebody's life. Hey, you need to kind of clean that up, and I'll, I'm Mr. Clean, and I'll come clean that up for you. And When in reality, all we're trying to do is lead them to the one that can actually do the work of making new. The one who is your new creation in Christ, the old is gone. The one who has the power to actually make that happen. The one who can break the power of sin and give us grace that is sufficient. The gospel is also not just doing good for people. We'll, you know, we'll start to throw a little money here, help this person here, avoid that establishment, avoid that website. If we, if we don't make the gospel clear to the people we're sharing with, we might just, they might assume that it's just doing good works, but their heart will still remain far from God, and then one day they will meet God and say, Lord, Lord, I, I did all these things, and I, I never knew you, is what the Lord will say to them because their hearts remain far from Him. Does meeting Jesus and being saved lead to outward actions that are different and a, and a good deeds and life that are full of good deeds? Yes. Faith without works is dead, the book of James tells us. But salvation begins in the heart. It's, it's a humbled heart that confesses it's a need of saving. Oftentimes, in sharing with a friend, I've had to debunk, if you will, or deconstruct what they're believing about the gospel and what it really means to follow Jesus. Because over the course of life, or church attendance, or watching religious people, or reading this book, or that book, or this, this whatever, they have begun to think the gospel is something entirely different than it really is. One of the clearest ways to communicate the good news is, is using uh, four chapters, if you will, of God's story. The four chapters mean, being God, man, Jesus, and response, our response. It begins with God, Genesis 1 and 2, that He is perfect, beautiful, holy, He is creator, We've been created by Him in His image and in His likeness, and we are greatly loved by His creation. We've been fearfully, or by, uh, as His creation, we have, we've been fearfully and wonderfully made. We've been knit together by His loving hands, by, by the loving hands of a Creator. We can't skip over Genesis 1 and 2 and go straight to, we're fallen, we're broken. We first have to be reminded that a Creator knit us together because He loves us. Man, Genesis 3, we've sinned against our God. We've wandered away from Him. We've disregarded His ways. None of us can claim we're perfect. And that all, uh, that compared to the holiness of God, compared to the beauty of God, we've all fallen short. The result of that, that sin is death and, and judgment, eternal judgment, unless we're rescued. Now, sometimes we're tempted to leave this part off because this truth confronts our pride that says we're awesome, right? It confronts our pride that says, yeah, but I'm smoking that guy over there so much better than that one it confronts us it says no it, vertically compared to god i've fallen short if we proclaim the gospel clearly we can't tailor or twist this you you don't realize the breaking news the of jesus is good news unless you first understand the bad news a doctor telling you that you're healthy doesn't really mean much unless that report comes after you've battled cancer. So saying that Jesus died for me and rose again, and great. Good. What, what is that? How is that good news to me if I don't fully understand that without that taking place, 
I'm still lost. I'm still unable to, with my own effort, get back to my Creator. So I need to understand that this is good news. It's incredible news. It's incredible. It's sacrificial, selfless love because the perfect God that we'd sinned against laid down His life for an impure, broken, unrighteous people. And then this great exchange happens when we place our faith in Him. He takes on our unrighteousness on the cross and we're given His righteousness. We're clothed in His righteousness. And so our sin then is separated as far as the east is from the west. This is what makes it good news. And this is where Jesus enters in. So God, man, Jesus, Jesus comes as a baby to rescue, to be the hero, to lay down His life, to take on our sin, to die in our place. And through His death and the wrath of, through His death, the wrath of God is satisfied. And we're set free from the power of sin and death. And finally, the last chapter is our response to the good news. We respond by not just acknowledging that it's, that it's true or that God is real, but we respond through faith and repentance. Faith meaning that we, we put our whole faith in Jesus who died and rose again. When we die, our only, our only belief is, and our only entrance to heaven, the only way we're going to go to heaven and share eternal life with God is that it has nothing to do with the resume that we built. It has everything to do with the one who died and rose again, and that our faith is completely in Him. Imagine jumping out of a plane. He's our parachute. It has nothing to do with what I've done or not done in my life. And so to repent means we turn from our old way of thinking and living. We no longer disagree with God, but we agree with God. We have a change of mind. Jesus is not just Savior, but also Lord. So we fix the rest of our lives on, and, and all we are on loving and following Him. To share the good news is not simply a transfer of information. It's an invitation to follow. So we go back to, Genesis, or we go back to uh, Matthew 4. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. And so we say the same thing. Come follow Jesus with me. Here's the good news of who Jesus is and what He's done and what He offers to us by grace. But this is not just about giving you knowledge. This is about giving you an invitation. Come follow Jesus with me. And then finally, Paul says this in verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now here, we're, we're not given an exact description of what this is going to look like. There's no formula. James 1.5 says a reminder that we are to pray for wisdom, and God is faithful to give it. And wisdom enables us to determine just how, in given situations, to respond. So when to speak when to listen, when to ask questions. Keep in mind, wisdom is more than facts, more than knowledge. This is, simply, this is more than simply knowing the four parts of the gospel of, man, of God, man, Christ, and response. This is understanding the right timing, the right touch, how to share that truth, how to speak the truth in love, how to reflect the grace of God. This is wisdom. We must live wisely, making the most of every opportunity. Here are three practical ways to make the most of every opportunity. Slow down. Walk slowly. Years ago, I heard this from a church planning coach. Years later, I'm still wrestling with this. Be watchful. Be prayerful. Look up from your phone. Look up from your phone. Students, look up from your phone. Adults, look up from your phone. Parents, look up from your phone. Ask God to help you see the people around you with His eyes. Not through the eyes of the world, 
but through his eyes. Second idea, ask great questions. Get to know their story. Where are they coming from? What do they believe? What do they experience when it comes to faith or church or interactions with other Christians? What do they, what do they think about the gospel? And then how does that actually compare to what the Bible says the gospel is? And finally, listen. Be quick to listen. So often when it comes to showing and telling of the good news, we're, we're really focused on what we need to tell them. But we also need to be focused on what they're saying and understanding them and explaining what the gospel is not. Maybe not what they saw growing up, or I'm sorry that person who said they're a Christian did that, and, but this is not about cleaning up, your, cleaning up your life first, and this is about your heart first. And sometimes we have to uh, deconstruct the lies that they have believed about following Jesus. And you do that through listening, getting to know them. Remember, evangelism is relationships. God's good news message, it spreads and travels through person to person to person. It multiplies and goes out through people. This is the vehicle. Make the most of every opportunity because one day we will not have that opportunity. Jesus will return or we will go to be with him. The one thing we can't do in heaven is show and tell the gospel. We can't evangelize. This is our one life. This is the time that we've been given. So in our speech, in, our, in the words we use, from the words we, we use to proclaim Jesus to our casual conversations, all of that must use a gracious and attractive tone. We must be wise with our words. This means bringing our mouths under the control of the Holy Spirit, bringing our thumbs, if you will, under the control of the Holy Spirit, or all ten fingers if you're typing. So you dropping a bomb or breaking out WTH or OMG or WTF or taking the Lord's name in vain is not wise. It's not full of grace. It's confusing to those who... who you're, you're Christian, right? It's confusing. It's not showing of the gospel. Are we gracious towards those who are least gracious with us? When tensions are high, are our words still winsome and attractive? When you've been offended, are the words we choose and the tone we use reflective of the amazing grace that we've been given? Let your words be rooted in and full of grace. If that's to happen, we must fall, fall in love again with God's grace and how it's been extended to us through Jesus. The more aware we are of the amazing grace that we have personally experienced, the more we will reflect and speak of that truth to the people around us. Full of grace, seasoned with salt. Salt makes things taste better. Said another way, are our words saying to the world, taste and see that the Lord is good? Is that the way of life we are living? Is that the words we are using? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Our hearts must first be captivated with that truth before our words will reflect it because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our way of life matters. Our words matter. We are not just loving Jesus and growing in our faith for our sake or because he's called us to. We are living in such a way, we are speaking in such a way that our lives would show and tell of the good news of Jesus. Showing and telling, it begins with prayer. God is the one who opens the door and we remain watchful. And when the door opens, we say yes. We tell of the good news clearly. And in the words and the tone we use, we reflect the grace and truth of Jesus. We seek to make the most of every opportunity we've been given. And with that in mind, uh, we're going to close in prayer. And here's what I'd like to do. When we send out full-time missionaries, uh, we commission and we pray over them. We, when we send out teams from Crosspoint on short-term mission trips, we commission and pray over them. Uh, and we should, and we'll keep doing that, and we'll do that 
this summer and, pr- and send out a team from Hyped on a missions trip. But when we do that sometimes, it gives off this false impression that missions work happens there and not here. Or they're going to go do missions work. That's awesome. And we kind of send them out and we commission them and we, and we support them financially and with prayer, and we should. And we're going to keep doing that as a church. That's New Testament church. And yet, missions work happens as a way of life. So where you go to school tomorrow, the dorm room you go back to, the apartment complex you go back to, the neighborhood, the workplace, it happens there as well. And so that's what I want to remind us of. That's why I want to commission us and pray over us as missionaries sent into the world. The other six days of the week to show and tell of the good news. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you've called us to be your ambassadors. We are humbled that you would commit the message of reconciliation to us. But Lord, we want to say yes to that. We want to, in a sense, raise our hand like Isaiah and say, here I am, Lord, send me. And so I pray that as a church, as as the family of God, that you would send us out on a mission, not just this week, but this year and the year following, God, that you would break our heart with what breaks your heart, that you would remind us of your heart for the lost, the the heart for people who don't know you yet, who haven't experienced the forgiveness and love and and the grace of God. I pray you'd give us opportunities this week to speak and show of the good news. I pray for doors to open up, conversations to open up, relationships to to open up. I pray for uh, courage for us to walk through that, that we wouldn't miss it, that we'd be watchful, that we would proclaim the good news clearly, that you would give us wisdom to do that, that we'd make make the most of every opportunity, that we we would use words and, and a tone that is seasoned with salt and full of grace. I pray for more people to come to know you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray for baptisms to happen this year because of how you've worked in and through this church and in and through the relationships of the people that call this church home. Send us out, Lord. Remind us of your call on our lives to show and tell, to live in such a way where more would come to know you I thank you for the commission that you gave us long, long ago to go and make disciples. Remind us of that, starting in our homes, to our workplaces, to our schools, to every facet of life. We love you. I thank you that you're the one doing the work. We, we beg you to work. We're desperate for you to work in the relationships that, that are around us and the people that you've called us to. Bring salvation. Bring reconciliation. Do what only you can do. We trust you. We love you. Our faith is completely in you. Use us for your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, we begin a new series in 1 Peter. And so I encourage you to maybe start reading that book this week. And uh, meet somebody new before you leave. If you're our guest, fill out a guest connection card so we can get to know you before you leave. God bless. Have a great week.